Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And suspension and all of that. And then, of course, we get into the season. Michigan goes on a roll. You know, you got a few spots left to fill, a couple of big-time targets. And then last week, a story drops that the NCAA is now going to look into Michigan stealing signs. Stealing signs, Bryce. Sign stealing is a thing to be alarmed by, according to to Twitter, right? This is just the worst thing to ever ever happen to college football. That's not to say that if there is some impropriety, some proven rules violations that Michigan wouldn't deserve a punishment. But the conjecture, the allegations of impropriety, uh, the impl- the implication that is being put out there in many ways. Now, you've got some some things that haven't been woven totally together. With, with substantiation, with, with facts to, to back up some of the reporting. But that hasn't stopped people from taking huge leaps. And so what is the impact of all of this on recruiting? This is a special episode also, by the way, because we're going to have University of Michigan Regent Jordan Acker join us to talk about NIL and its impact on, on Michigan recruiting and what's on the horizon. That was going to be the full episode. Now it has to be just half the episode because of what's going on with Sign Gate, as I call it, joining me to discuss this talk Michigan recruiting is my man, my guy, my little brother from another mother, Bryce Marriage. Bryce, how you doing? Ooh, what a bye week, right? What a bye week. Is this supposed to be the easy week? It's supposed to be an easy week, man. Uh-huh. Been doing this long enough to know we're supposed to be able to relax a little bit. You know, have a Saturday where we actually – Go out to dinner with the wife because you got a wife now, right? Go out to dinner with the wife. I know. You know, relax just a little bit, recharge your battery for the for the home stretch. Cover some recruiting because coaches are on the road. And then this uh, happens. By the way, I gotta I gotta mention the folks. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it. Be sure to review it. Be sure to tell all your friends about it. They can you'll find it wherever they get their podcast: Google, Spotify, iTunes, of course. Be sure to like the videos on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. And if you want total in uh, total depth and insight into Michigan recruiting, the michiganinsider.com accuracy is at a premium. That's what we place above all else is accuracy. That's what I love about my guy, Bryce marriage. So you mentioned this is supposed to be when it's supposed to be easy for us, for coaches. It's still, it's supposed to be grinded out time on the recruiting trail, right? Absolutely. You know, with a buying week, this is an opportunity for all the coaches to swing by schools of potential targets and commits and then watch high school games. And as I reported, I think, Sam, you probably reported on too. I'm hearing they're not doing all that. They will be going to high school games, but they will not be stopping in high schools. And some may wonder why. What's what's the hold up there? Why's the, the violation? Well, here's the thing, people. Anything Michigan at this point is doing is under a microscope. Mm-hmm. 
So if I'm a head coach or a not head, assistant coach, let's say, and I'm wearing Michigan and I go in this high school and everyone in that high school knows, you know, Ron Bellamy or Mike Elston or whoever, just a Michigan coach is here to see player X. That's going to spread around the school. You're going to get kids trying to see him, trying to take photos. You might even have the prospect bump into him, which could lead to conversation, which could lead to another violation. So at this point, I think it's safe to say Michigan's not taking any chances with anything. And at this point as well, I would agree with them that that's the right route. Now, does that happen a lot of times in recruiting? Absolutely. With every program. But at this point, Michigan can't afford to have anything else on the record. Because as Sam, as you said, I mean, if you break a rule, you break a rule. And I'm with that. You know, I mean, if I'm speeding, but I'm only speeding by five and I see five cars go by and they're speeding as well. Yeah, they're doing it too. But guess what? You're the one that got caught. Mm-hmm. So you got to pay that punishment or you got to pay the price. But this is where I kind of differ. You got to make sure the punishment meets the crime. That's the only thing I would say of all this, you know. But going back to recruiting, they're only going to be at high schools watching games from, you know, uh, afar. They're not going to have their cell phones recording anyone. So everyone wondering that, you know, I know that's, you know, Spygate, you know, but, um, I, I, I you, you got to clarify stuff with people saying you do if well you i mean certain, if you say certain things it's gonna get put down in print so well think about think about it for a second bumps like that's a it's a technical term according to the ncaa you can bump a prospect in high school right you can visit the high school if michigan were to go by belleville high school right they could bump into Bryce Underwood in the, in the hallway. Now, can they sit down and meet with Bryce Underwood for 5, 10, 15, 20, however many minutes? No, can't do that. Can't meet with him. You can bump him, exchange pleasantries. But all it takes is for you to bump him. And, hey, maybe it's, maybe it's like instead of 15 seconds or 30 seconds, maybe it's 31 seconds. Oh, he, they met with Bryce Underwood. That's all it takes. And so why would you risk the the perception of impropriety given the environment that is leading to all of this assume the worst about Michigan at every turn? Because I, you know, we talk, talked about this on the various shows that we do. Like it, it to me is not wrong to take these reports that you're getting from sources whether it be a firm or a school or a coach, or Ryan Day, it's not to take or Urban Meyer or who? Hey, yeah, I'm just I'm just throwing out hypotheticals, Bryce. But if Ryan Day is giving you some information about Michigan, hypothetically, it's okay to report that that you got that from a source. But you need, I think, you need to offer some balance that says, hey, you know, this is a this is a source. This is a source, a competitor of of Michigan's that uh, is it could benefit could benefit from the scrutiny of Michigan of this ilk. You can present that, or 
if you don't do that, at the very least, when you're laying out, for instance, this Washington Post piece by an author who happened to be at Boston College, same time as Ryan Day. Did you know that, Bryce? He wrote for the student newspaper. Did not. Yeah, he's a Boston College guy. He was at Boston College from 2002 to 2006. Was a student writer while at Boston College. And Ryan Day happened to be a GA at Boston College at the same time. And, you know, he wrote a previous article about Ryan Day taking over the Washington Post. Why the hell? But just, I'm just, this is just a big Listen, coincidence. I, I'm just a recruiting reporter. I didn't know I signed up to be an investigative reporter. Oh, no, you know, I didn't. Right. Or, I'm, I'm no, 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 I know. But a lot of people, that's what they're doing. I mean, they're looking at people's Venmos now. You're looking at, and they're, and they're just jumped to conclusion, you know? Yeah, it's just, so, yeah me, no one's vetting anything yeah, at to all. Me, to me, it would have been prudent for that reporter as they're laying out, for instance, the stuff about a drive, right? right? This information on a drive that people had other coaches or other staff members had access to. All right. So let's, let's lay out the scenario. Cause just by printing that the suggestion is that everyone was looking at it, right? This is, this is, uh, the, this is material that all the coaches were accessing. Do you know that? And the analogy that I've been coming with, it's analogous to, in my opinion, is you work in an office building full of offices. Do you go in your work, your co-worker's office and rummage through their desk simply because you have access to the building? Like, why, why would you look in their drawer? Just like, why would you look in someone else's drive space? Right? Unless you can prove that nexus, unless you can prove that, yeah, they were all looking at it. And for that matter, are we talking about an internal office drive? Are we talking about, uh, you know, a virtual drive, a cloud, like a cloud, some cloud space? Are we talking about Google Drive? That's what, uh, you know, that's what Brian Cook over there going to say. Man, what are we talking about? I think we're talking about like a Google Drive, Google Drive space, which you can share access, and, which seems plausible given how he was working with, other people at other place at other schools to put together this 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 strategy or network or process for sign stealing. He's like, man, present that as a alternative to what is highly suggestive material as you lay it out. Now this that's a huge huge. I digress a lot there. I get it, but the point is, given that kind of environment where everyone is assuming the worst, you don't want to give them more latitude, you know, more ammunition to assume the worst about you if you're in Michigan. Like, you got to be extra careful. Absolutely. You can't afford to be bumping into prospects in high school. No, no, no. And the, other, and the other thing I wrote about, too, in my recruiting piece, Sam, was with how this has kind of transpired and every day, every hour, every second, there seems to be new details coming out, which – makes it look worse and worse. That's just going to build the amount of negative recruiting surrounding Michigan football. Now, here's the thing. They have 25 commits. They're basically done in the 2024 class. But this is this is more about, I would say, future prospects, future recruitments, future battles. Let's say it's against Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan State or whoever. They're going to use this to say, hey, if a coach is in trouble because we don't know what's all in this, you know, investigation, let's say you're 
one of your coaches, your primary recruiter, if he's not there anymore, poof, that relationship, everything you had with Michigan's gone. So kids and families and, you know, high school coaches, everyone, because this is national news. Everyone knows about this investigation, which I'm not, again, an expert if they should know about this or not. But, I mean, everyone now knows about it, which is painting Michigan in a terrible picture, which then results, makes it, there's no positivity around Michigan, which is ironic because they are the number two team in the country. They're destroying teams. I mean, absolutely destroying teams. But that's not what anyone's talking about when it comes to Michigan or recruiting. So, it's right now recruiting's not great, but it's not terrible because all indications and everyone I've talked to, there's no one wavering. Everyone in the class seems to be pretty rock solid. No one's, you know, looking elsewhere. And that's a good thing because I know this is a class that they like a lot of prospects in and they have a great future with this class coming in. So we'll see what happens going forward. But in the end or overall, I just, any way you chalk this up, it's not going to be well for Michigan when it comes to recruiting. Yeah, I, I just, I don't, well, maybe it won't go well from the standpoint of, you know, maybe flipping any big guys down the stretch. I, I think there's still uh, an effort to get Nitro Tuggle to the uh, Ohio State game. That's something to watch. Uh, Ryan Wingo's off the board. You no, know, you just went to see Ryan Wingo, right? Um, but I, I still think. Ohio State is lining up to be a gigantic weekend. I think you know, so. The funny thing is once Michigan starts playing against the players are – so this is the thing. I haven't even written about this yet, but, man, the players, they're oblivious to a lot. You can sort of look at how they handle the Jim Harbaugh to the NFL rumors every year. And I don't know. Were you there for any of the behind the uniforms where it might, maybe it was Trevor or Zach? I don't know if you were there for any of, the, any of those. Mm. They're like, I might have been, but – they, they I do like, remember their message. Yeah, and they were like, hey, man, this is what this is just part of the process. You know, coach looks at them and feel like we do, and they're just used to it. And they just they, they are able to compartmentalize in ways that maybe people who aren't around the program a lot aren't used to, right? And so new players come in, and they might be a little shook, and then you got the veteran guys who've been through it like, hey, man, just calm down. And that same kind of thing is applying right now to the team with all this going on. Like, he would, you know, part of it is, hey, like, whatever. I mean, they aren't paying attention to the media, but when they do start paying attention and they're seeing this, it ticks them off. It oh, absolutely. And, like, this season's been a season of distractions. I mean, the first three games, Sam, before any of this came out, they didn't even have their head coach, Jim Harbaugh, on the sideline. Right. The first game, they didn't have Sharon Moore on the sideline either. So, I mean, they're – and I'm not saying that's a good thing – to keep having distractions, keep having things come up. But it's just like this team is resilient. You could tell this is not worrying them. And that kind of showed in their last performance against Michigan State because they easily could have, you know, played them tight, kind of been a little nervous, kind of – and they just smacked them in the mouth. Well, that's why you mentioned that, Bryce, because as much as the tunnel, the incident, the, the assault in the tunnel was on their minds – uh, during preparation, when this rolled around, this became a big part of the motivation. Uh, you know, because the way they take it is, oh, you're trying to say, what, we we aren't really as talented? Like, we got to cheat to beat these dudes? 
Oh, we got to cheat to beat anybody? Okay. Okay. We're going to show you. I'm. This is not me saying it. This is how they're taking it. So in a strange way, it's been a, a bonding. There's already a really tight team. But if you had any any concern about complacency, you can dead that. Like, it, there's it's, there's going to be no complacency. And it, it, especially with the suspicion about which teams are doing a lot of the talking, oh, yeah, that's definitely going to add some extra to some of these games coming up, two in particular, but especially one. It's going to add some extra to that game. So, you know, but I, I do, before we get to talking about NIL and catching up with Jordan Acker, there's one guy, Bryce, we kind of mentioned it before, and I'm curious your take. He seems to be paying attention to what Michigan is doing. Makes sense when you look at how Roman Wilson seems to be like Chris Carter. All he does is catch touchdowns, right? But Gatlin Bear, I mean, part of it, part of his decision to go to Boise State was his home. But the other part of it was, ah, this, you know, how much, how much does Michigan really feature the receivers? Remember, well, between what Roman is doing and the receivers, other receivers, CJ's having a, a nice season, but Roman especially, and the tight ends, including his boy, Coastal Loveland, who's killing it right now. Touchdowns in three straight games. Two touchdowns for the first time in his career versus Michigan State. It just feels like Michigan still has his attention a little bit. Am I off base with that? Absolutely not. And we actually reported on the Michigan Insider that Michigan quietly has kind of kept the iron in the fire in this recruitment. It's safe to say that was a no-brainer. Um, Ron Bellamy has done a really good job in this recruitment. The wide receivers coach, Jay Harbaugh, has a great connection out there in the state of Idaho to high school coaches and uh, different prospects out there. So he's done a great job. But the other thing with this, too, when he committed to Boise State, everyone knew he was essentially a 2026 commit or player because he's taken a two-year mission. So he's going to be gone. But Sam, just because he's gone for two years does not mean he's going to end up at that school a la Andrew Gentry. Mm -hmm. So a lot can happen in two years. And Michigan right now, they're kind of seeing it play out at Boise State. Boise State, the Broncos, they're not having a great season. I mean, last I checked, they just gave up, I think it was a 17-point lead to Colorado State. I think I was, I don't know if that was at home or not. And a lot of people in Boise, because I've been talking to people around the area, they're not too happy with the head coach there. Mm. And kind of the product. So mm. this is a recruitment you might want to monitor. And the biggest thing I'm watching and I was told to pay attention to is, let's see if he comes back to Michigan. Because he took that official in the summer. Had a great time. A lot of people, some might have jumped ahead and said, oh, Michigan's leading stuff. We never put in crystal balls. We kind of... You know, heads, we are steady on that. But if he returns for maybe a game like Ohio State, that might be worth, that might be really telling, you know. So, yes, the production offensively from Roman Wilson, big selling point. You got your boy, Coastal Loveland, killing it. And on top of that, Boise State right now is struggling. All that mixed in. I think Michigan has a real shot. And even again, if he does not, going to Michigan and signing with Michigan, let's say, this cycle, that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to go to Boise State because things happen. 
especially when you're serving a two-year mission. So going into this, Boise State, Michigan, and every school knew this is a recruitment that was going to go longer than most, just as the circumstances. And this is a player that's extremely special. He runs 100-meter uh, dash faster than Nicholas Harbor. He's got great ball skills. He's he's a unicorn, you know? He's a freak. And Michigan, they're going to be losing Roman Wilson. I don't know if they're going to have any speedster like this. Plus, he's got size, too. That's just – it's tough to teach. And I think he'd be a perfect fit. So, we'll see what happens. I – but yeah, that that's definitely your crimin. I'm glad you brought up, and that's one I'm gonna be watching for sure. Yeah, man, I, I just felt like Michigan was so close. They were they so came close, second. No, but, I mean they, they came second. Yeah, and between, I think yeah between the things that we cited, I mean they they had you know the 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 belief from him that they were really gonna feature the receiver. Uh, because they'd had some thousand yard players in, in the past. And then of course they got, they have proximity and those two things won out, but man, you see what, what Roman's doing and Colston, especially like Colston is killing it. <laughs> Colston Loveland is killed. And Harbaugh has been on it. Like, and we have to, we, we, you can see what Colston was going to be. But now that he's seeing the kind of success Colston is having as a receiver, I just wonder if that's going to be something that he looks at like, man, that could be me. As a, as a, as a wide out, that could be Right. Me. And I just checked Boise State's record. They're three and four, and they're playing five and two Wyoming. So it's not like they could drop that one, go to three and five. You know, they, I still think they got to – who are they going to play? Air Force? Was nationally ranked. That could be another loss. So you could be potentially looking at six losses here, and that's a program that's not accustomed to losing that much, especially out there. So I don't know. I'm just saying that might be a recruitment to watch for sure. Yeah, man. All right, uh, we got a lot to get to here. Uh, we're going to talk some NIL before we do. You know, there is a our friends at Golden Limo. They're really getting involved on. The, they're getting involved on the NIL front, signing NIL deals. You know, I know one of the one of the reps that they are signing up is one Mr. William Johnson, right? Yeah, Will Johnson. Going to be a guy from an NIL perspective with the folks over at Golden Limo uh, because I think when you think of, you know, the, the qualities that you want, in transportation, reliability, class, right? Um, you know, to 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 really feel like you are you're you're a cut above the rest. These are things that are embodied in an athlete like that, a representative uh, in a great way of what they do and who they are. And I've had personal experience with my guys, my people over at Golden Limo uh, because I've had in the past, you know, I've had to get out and get to the game. Sometimes I don't have a ride. When I don't have a ride, my wife can't get me where I have to get to. I call them. Why? Safety, reliability, luxury. 
luxury vibe or two our experience. They don't have to look down at their phone to figure out where they're going. Right? They just know. Especially on a game day, you gotta kind of maneuver around, you've been there, right? You know, you gotta know the shortcuts, you gotta know the pathways through all of the quagmires. Slow down. That's what the flow is. But it translates also in the airport transit. You gotta get there. First of all, they're 15 minutes early every time. Get you there one time every time. And safely. And if you need transportation, not just to the airport, but make you land. And in reverse, one phone call to go, one schedule to go, and it can take care of your whole trip. Both domestically and internationally, as I experienced. They took us to the airport on our way to Paris and Rome. We got off the plane in Paris and Rome. We had the transportation ready for us, courtesy of Gold. And you know, health, eyes on Gold. Officially football team. Now, I don't know if you caught it, right? But looking back at the uh, at the deal there, looking back at the Michigan-Michigan State game, and you see how Golden made it up or how the team made it over there? I did. I did. Yeah. So nice. This is, the team. this is the team on their business trip going over to Michigan State to get some things done. That's Golden Limo right there. So if the team is riding on gold, shouldn't you? Shouldn't you? I think you should as well. All right, folks, it is time now to go ahead and get to our interview with one Mr. Jordan Acker. Jordan, a, a regent at the University of Michigan, a Michigan alum, formerly the chair of the Board of Regents, but a guy who is very outspoken about the intercollegiate athletic model. Uh, really outspoken about the need to better compensate student athletes and what that comp what that model looks like moving forward. And in the NIL space, how to sustain it, how to make it so student athletes are getting their fair share of the pie every year. Uh, and so a wide ranging conversation with Jordan talking about everything from law changes to law on the horizon probably here in the state of Michigan. I want to get your take on this, Bryce, before we get to a break. Uh, to collectives and his thoughts on what collectives, what they provide and whether he thinks that's sustainable, where he thinks that'll be around uh, in the future. And what does a program like Michigan do when it comes to how other teams are handling NIL versus how they're handling it? You know, until some laws change or some, some order, some uniformity is brought to the NIL space. How do you compete? This is one of the things we got into uh, during our wide-ranging conversation. But, but Bryce, wanted to get your take real quick on if this law passes in the state of Michigan, NIL-wise, how do you see it impacting things? Uh, well, I would say Bryce Underwood's going to have a nice day. That's, that's the start. No, but for real, I I think one of the things when it comes to NIL, especially when it comes to Michigan, is, you know, these guys are looking for, you know, some of these prospects, I should say, are looking for money up front. You know, Michigan is known that's just not how they're going to do it. Well, if some of these guys now in the state of Michigan can get that money 
before they even get to Michigan, let's say they pick university, they might not be so inclined to have money being such a big factor for them when they're considering a school. And that's kind of how I'm looking at it, you know? So I think this is a win for the student athletes in the state of Michigan. I think it's a win for Michigan because they've never really used NIL like some other programs around the country. And this can kind of offset some of that worries where maybe, you know, a kid, I'm not saying, but let's say he gets 50000 in high school. If a program offers him 50000 he might say, well, I already got that, you know. <laughs> right. Right. So it's like, you know, I'm not just going to pick your school because you're giving me 50. I'm already having 50 come this way. So you got to you got to offer more on the table than just a bag of money. Yeah, you can so, start that kid can start fostering the business relationships that can follow him wherever he goes. Right. right? You start establishing your your network. Say you're a Bryce Underwood and you start signing your deals now. It's not as much about where I mean you're taking your deals with you. Right now can are you going to get more deals where you go? Sure. But if you got a bunch of deals, it's not as much about, hey, X, Y, Z said they can provide that because you're you're probably going to be you're going to have a portfolio already that's going to help you get more deals regardless of what the school is. I think this is a big deal in that way uh, as well to allow kids to start that process a lot earlier and maybe not have it dictate as much where they go as much as it it's it's a part of the decision. And not all of the decision. I don't mean that is how Bryce is looking. I'm just talking about in general when you talk about guys in the state of Michigan. We got to get to a break. We come back on the other side. Regent Jordan Acker joins us here on the Michigan Recruiting Insider. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome to another edition of the Michigan Recruiting Insider. We mentioned that in the new season of the Recruiting Insider, we were going to make a, an effort on a monthly basis, at least, to focus our attention on NIL. It is such a factor in everything in intercollegiate athletics now, but certainly in recruiting. Uh, when it comes to NIL, its impact on the sport, how you can shape the future with it, the guy I look to is a guy who wrote a New York Times op-ed piece. I've seen him speak to, uh, you know, classes at the University of Michigan. Uh, he certainly can speak knowledgeably, and the most knowledgeably, in my opinion, 
on University of Michigan's Board of Regents about the topic. He has consulted coaches. He has consulted players. He is just a bright, bright guy, and he's a Michigan man. Talking about Jordan Acker, Regent. Jordan Acker. Jordan, how are you? What's going on, Sam? Good to see you. You got a better background than I do today. You know, you're in the stadium. I'm in Southfield. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, I see you in the stadium all the time. Jordan, uh, this, you know, as you look at the future of intercollegiate athletics and what, what the ideal was, how it has actually been practiced, and where it's going in the future, these seem to me all different things, especially now that NIL is here, yep. right? How does that kind of change or, or augment what the intercollegiate athletic ideal is? I kind of sit, sense that metamorphosis going on right now, yep. people kind of totally. wrapping their minds around student yeah. athletes getting paid. And I felt like you were the perfect person to bring on and talk about that and to talk about where we're going legally as well. So first of all, yeah. I mean, how are you? Let's, let's just start with, how are you enjoying this season so far? Let's get some pleasantries in. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Let's so let's we were talking about this a little bit before. Look, I was telling you before, and I, I honestly believe this. This is the best Michigan football team in my lifetime. They're 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 complete, they're fun, they work hard. I mean, I don't know how you could watch this team every Saturday and not think you're watching something special right now. And these guys deserve all the credit in the world, some for coming back, some for taking on new roles, and some really for for really just digging their teeth in and doing the hard work to get to this point. Um, because, you know, I've, I've, you know, I'm a Michigan native, like you, Sam, I I've sweated through a lot of Michigan, Michigan state games with good Michigan teams and not that good Michigan state teams. And I don't know how many minutes you were worrying on Saturday night, but I could tell you it was less than five for me. Um, so I, people got to, you know, that's the one thing I'm going to say is that people have to enjoy this. Yes. Right. This is a lot of fun. You're not going to get a lot of quarterbacks like JJ, right. You're not going to get a, you may never see a backfield like that has these two guys. Uh, and frankly, the guys coming up behind them that they do. So people got to enjoy this because this is a once in a generation experience that we're going through right now and uh, have fun at Purdue or against Purdue, have fun at Maryland and, at Penn state and then, you know, lose our voices just like I am right now uh, in that final weekend in November and beat the Buckeyes for a third straight year. Right. It's going to feel sweet. Yeah. I, we've been preaching that savor it, you know, enjoy yeah. the ride. Don't necessarily uh, look to tomorrow when today is so great. That's a problem, not just in sports, just in general, right. Where people can't savor the moment, but this is a special time. To yep. be a, a Michigan fan, Michigan alum, Michigan student athlete, Michigan supporter, whatever aspect of connection to Michigan you have, this is a special time and embrace it. Now, Jordan, brass tax time. Yeah. You know, intercollegiate athletics, I've long been um, I've long been one of those people who love the sport, love what it does for student athletes, love what it does for the camaraderie of of you know of a campus um you know all the things that it represents that that tie us together yeah the thing that i hadn't been so keen on so supportive of is this notion of amateurism yep i always felt like it was a a a convenient way to control to control labor totally yep and and nil has kind of shifted that dynamic so let's pick up 
kind of where I started, where yeah. you have people kind of having to change their their idea, their perception of what a student athlete is and yeah. how that student athlete should be compensated. Yeah, and I think, you know, you brought up, brought up some great points, Sam, but I, I think that I really would – I ask people, what is it about this that you love, right? Why, why Michigan? Why do you show up on Saturdays and why do you love this? Because let's remember, being a college football fan a lot of the time – uh, requires you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Uh, no one would tell you, you know, in, in any other experience, if you said, what do you do on a Saturday? Well, I go drinking in a parking lot and then I watch teenagers play a game for four hours. People would say, hmm, that's kind of odd. Um, but college football brings out something special in America and special in people. And so I think people have to remember why they love this. And for me, it's always been, it's not that, it's not a, the, you know, it, it, the amateurism does, never made any sense to me because I don't say, oh, I wouldn't love going to the Ross school if, it, you know, I wouldn't appreciate that student if he wasn't out there making a lot of money over the course of the summer. That would be absurd, right? It'd be completely out there. And I feel the same way about college athletics. And I think the NIL era has had two big parts that have been, have to, you kind of have to separate them out. The first one is the collectives, which we can talk about, obviously, but the actual name, image, and likeness. And I think it's fascinating. I hear this from coaches around the country and at Michigan is that the one thing that they can really easily get their student athletes to get is that if you want to make money on your name, image, and likeness, you have to have a solid name, image, and likeness, mm-hmm. right? That means you have to go to class. That means you have to have a smiling face and be good in the community and all of those things. Cause that's how you earn money off your brand. Right. And it's required students who are interested in it to really focus on that, you know, in a lot of really positive ways. Collectives are a whole nother game. And I would say, you know, my honest viewpoint is, is that I don't like them. I think they're a cheap way of getting around the system. And I think it's 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 underhanded. It's a necessity, but they're underhanded because I believe that the best way to get money to the student athletes, if you're going to pool money together, is do a revenue sharing from, from TV rights deals. I think putting money into your donors' hands, to your alumni hands, to this third party, and then to the student athletes doesn't make a ton of sense. And I think that um, it's a great way to burn out your donors. It doesn't work. Yeah. So I think that there's been two aspects of the NIL era. I think the first one, I think the NIL stuff is going to survive and continue to be important. But I think as we head towards revenue sharing and we see these collectives start to burn out in terms of their fundraising base, I think it's going to be awful hard to keep that up. I don't think you're going to, you know, I don't think they're going to go away, but I think you'll see them exist for three, four, five, six special student athletes and not much more beyond that because there's simply no fundraising capacity for it. Yeah. You, I, the, the donor fatigue, right. Is, is real. I've cool. definitely heard that from talking to the folks around here, talking to donors, talking to, you know, obviously we, we both know uh, Jared Wangler, my guy over there. Yeah. I love that guy. And, yeah, lo- love Jared, but donor fatigue is real, right? Yes. So, you know, the the money that is sustainable is the rev share money. But you said heading towards revenue sharing. Yes. So what did you mean by that? Because, you know, on one hand, it does feel like there's an inev- inevitability to it. Yep. Are you talking about that or are you talking about there are actually some real steps being taken toward that end, whether it be – you know, from a legislative perspective or NCAA perspective or 
coaches, programs getting together to try to, other than Jim Harbaugh, of course, who has gone out and front. Kirk Ferentz, and, don't forget Kirk Ferentz, too. Yeah, and saying then it needs to happen. But is there a real effort, you know, something tangible going on to move us in that direction? Or are you just saying, hey, it's inevitable that we're going to be there eventually? So uh, I think that there's two angles on this, Sam. The first one is, is it inevitable? Uh, yes. It's getting there because of the courts, though. Right. So there are these courts moving through the Northern District of California that um, deal with the ability to, of the NCAA to stop revenue sharing. Once the NCAA no longer can prevent it, and I, I have no doubt in my mind that the court in the Northern District is going, it's the same judge, by the way, who heard the Alston case, absolutely going to rule against the NCAA and the conferences again. And then it's going to go to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court is going to do the same thing. It's going to be nine to zero. It's just a question of how bad does it get there. So you have the actual legal mechanism. And once that happens, it will be impossible, impossible for the conferences to not move in that direction because the legislatures in these states, especially in the South, are moving there very, very fast. They want to give their schools a competitive edge, and they're going to do everything they can to get there. And so there's the legal mechanism, there's a, there's, um, there is the technical mechanism, but ultimately the biggest problem here is, is that you have the people at the top who are still throwing these Hail Marys in Washington. And I don't know why, um, I don't know why this continues to go on because I think frankly, it's, it's, it it was never going to happen. I mean, we're, we're sitting here today is October 25th as, as of 2 PM, we don't have a speaker of the house right now (laughs) and we're going to solve the NCAA's problems. These people can't even vote on a leader. It's absurd. It's absurd. It was absurd of Charlie Baker to look at this a year ago. It was maybe excusable and understandable because he was new in this. It is, it is inexcusable now, you know, the day, the day is, has come and gone you are not getting a deal out of congress in this congress and thus that means the courts are going to make the decision unless the ncaa acts now i'm not suggesting that the court that the ncaa could not get something out of congress but it requires a lot of movement from where they are right now which is still wanting an antitrust exemption like baseball has to continue to run this amateur athletics the same way genie's out of the bottle yeah it's interesting. I, I want you, from a political perspective, yeah, kind of reconcile for me how on both sides of the aisle there seem to be politicians just saying, "Yeah, nil. We we need to do some things for to increase nil or bring about some some nil uh, consistency across the board." And reconcile that for me with the total lack of movement. It it just seems like everyone has a position. Because it's great to have a position, sure. but nothing is actually really going to get done. So I think you have, there's two big things to remember. And I see this every time I read an article and it's like, Congressman so-and-so put a bill on NIL together. So there's two kinds of bills in Washington. The first one are bills you, you introduce for messaging. And the second one are bills you pass to pass. And I've seen a lot of messaging bills. A couple that are a little bit past to pass. I think the the uh, Tuberville Mansion is a little bit more interesting, but it has gone nowhere. Just to clear myself, I, that I did was consulted on that particular bill, mm-hmm. but and I it's there's some parts I like, some parts I don't. But here's the thing about it: 
is that politicians will say something popular because it works for voters at home, mm-hmm. right? And they don't have to do anything about it. And this is the perfect, perfect example. It's easy for a congressman from Ohio or Texas to say, we got to make things better for AM or we got to make things better for Ohio State without actually having to do anything to make it happen. And so that's kind of where you are here. And the more that Greg Sankey and Charlie Baker and Tony Petiti go to Capitol Hill, it's a good photo op. And so we're working on this issue. But ultimately, the reality is we're not getting any closer. Now, again, are there things that we could do that we could get through Congress that would actually have some bipartisan consensus? Yeah, I think you could have some clarifications on Title IX and what you can and can't do in the NIL space. I think you can talk about international student visas and the restriction on making money while you're a student athlete. I think these are things you could get, but it requires the NCAA to give. Uh And while they're under the shoe of the lawyers in Northern California and told not to do anything, or they're just simply unable to fix the pieces of what they've created. I don't have a good answer, but I do know that it is going to happen. And as I've said, schools will be better off wasting their energy on lobbyists and lawyers and coming up with a plan. Mm-hmm. All but right. So, so uh, basically what you're telling me is all of this posturing is a great way to describe it. None of that is real policy on no. the horizon. No. Right. All Not right, at this point. So- I mean, is it the most we got wars in Ukraine and Israel and Gaza? We got a you know we got a government funding bill that's got to pass at the end of the year, and we don't have a speaker of the house right now. There's more important things than NIL on the plate of of our leaders in Washington. I think it's fair to say. All right, so now you have the recipe for for states to to move. Uh, you know they're left to their own devices to come up with what works for them. And you have different states that have been very forward. It is a priority in some states. Missouri. Oh, yes, it is. Right. Where NIL is top of top of mind. We're going to put our our institutions in position to have an advantage. Right. And so in that space, being involved in the political sphere here in the state of Michigan, is there is there sensitivity to that? That, hey, you know, based on NIL legislation, to this point, we'll get to the recent NIL legislation yeah. for high school players. But is there is there sensitivity to the fact that institutions, Michigan, Michigan State, and all across the board, are at a competitive disadvantage yeah. based on how the legislature has moved forward with NIL in this state compared to how it happens in other states? Because it seems like that sensitivity exists elsewhere. I think that there's a lot of fear from legislators. Remember, Michigan still has these term limits, right? And so a lot of these folks, even though the term limits are now a little longer, they're pretty new. So you have a situation where they still are learning about being a legislator. Some of these people have been public servants for a long time, but they're still learning about it. And for Democrats who are in the majority for the first time uh, in, you know, 40 years, they're really learning the the mechanisms of power for the first time. So I think that what one of the problems with Lansing, and not to get into the, the nitty-gritty of it, but it's controlled by lobbyists in a lot of ways because those are the people with the experience and the people who are there. And I think they um I think doing anything that upsets some of these lobbyists who again they move very cautiously, they don't want major changes, is it, difficult, especially in a state where you have, you know, it, you have associations that don't just include Michigan, Michigan State. We, you know, we don't have one university system here. We have 18 university systems here. Mm-hmm. 
So when you're talking about public institutions in Michigan, you know, one of the problems you have is, is that the NCAA and laws will affect Eastern, Central and Western, but they'll also affect, you know, the smaller schools, right? The Grand Valleys of the world. And I think that makes it a real challenge in Michigan to move things forward because it's not like Pennsylvania where you have Penn State system where obviously, you know, Happy Valley is your, your cash cow when it comes to football, but you've got tons of campuses across the state and they all come in one system. Um, that creates a big, uh, a big problem in Michigan. I think that makes um, it's something that's going to be really difficult uh, for to handle at the legislative level, which I look. It's my view, and I'll just say, it's my view that legislators shouldn't be making these decisions, just like I don't think courts should be making these decisions. I think the people who are qualified to actually make these decisions are the presidents of universities, the commissioners of the conferences, and the athletic directors. And I don't really think that anybody else should be involved. The problem is, and this gets back to the central issue, the problem is, is they know that they can't do that without interference in the courts or... uh, or from the legislatures because they're going to get sued, right? <laughs> and they're going to get sued because right. they can't restrict labor from making no money. And that is ultimately what they want to do. So if they would give that up and start thinking as, as Notre Dame's athletic directors talk about collective bargaining, they could fix this without the courts, without Washington, without Lansing, but they don't want to. Mm-hmm. There's too much money in it for a lot of people to get to that point. All right. So uh, recently legislation here in the state of Michigan about high school athletes, you know, Michigan is one of, one of the the states that had been a holdout as far as high school athletes being able to realize in NIL. Now there's a a law on the books that would lie. What do you make of, of this, this new law? Well, it's not a law yet. Not a law yet, but it just just passed the house. Mm -hmm. Um, I was talking to a couple of friends in the Senate yesterday and they do expect it to pass at some point. It'll, you know, go through the whole you know, process like it normally does on the Senate side. And I think at some point the governor will sign it. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, the High School Athletic Association is in favor of this, um, which is kind of odd. I don't know why they couldn't have done this themselves. Right. But I think that what they've seen is, and this, I think there's lots of other issues. We could talk about this for days. But one of the big issues is Michigan high school sports are way down. And there's, you know, NIL keeping holding it back. How many NIL, how many high school athletes would really make NIL money in the state of Michigan? I can't imagine that there's that many. A few bucks here and there. But ultimately, things like restricting how many games you can play out of state, that's a much bigger deal for high school. But look, anything we're moving towards a system where, you know, you're, we're allowing the free market to occur is better off with me. Though I think when you're talking about minors, I think it's a really, really difficult situation because they don't even have the right to sign for themselves. They got to have their parents to sign off. So I think it creates some difficulties, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy ultimately that this is moving through and I, I would expect it to pass in this, in this session. Yeah. So we'll put a link to your New York times op-ed piece. We'll put it on the screen for people to go check out. I highly recommend you do so. Uh, but for folks who haven't read it yet, oh yeah, in your own words, kind of tell them what what your point was, what your position was, what you argued in that op-ed. My position was, and keep in mind now, this this piece originated uh, at the beginning of August. So my position was uh, was that uh, Big Ten expansion 
wasn't necessarily bad. wasn't bad for Michigan, wasn't it? But, but it does rip the mask off in what we're creating here. And we're creating here as a professional enterprise. And that's okay. Universities have tons of professional enterprises. We have hospitals. We have, uh, you know, we have uh, unionized graduate student employees. We have tons of things like that that we do. But this is one of them. And so what I was really trying to get at is that if we're going to do this, we have to do it with revenue sharing with student athletes. We have to do it with unionization. And we have to get to a point where we're comfortable saying this is a business enterprise that Michigan runs. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. No one says, oh, what a terrible destruction of your campus education because you're learning in the dining hall. Mm -hmm. I mean, ridiculous, right? I mean, like, what, what are we talking about here? Right. Like, oh, you know, my my wife, when we were in college, my wife worked at Bivouac and be like, oh, working at Bivouac for 10 hours a week. That's destructive to her college experience. Could you imagine saying something like that? But we do that for student athletes, even though we essentially require them to engage in a full time job. Mm -hmm. So that was basically my point. And I to start this conversation and it kind of happened. I mean, you know, this is in The New York Times. You know, this is um, it's great. And I, I worked with the. Um, with the incredible uh, Jane Coaston, who I don't know if you know Jane, but know she, Jane. I'm a huge she's fan. just the best, uh, great the editor, uh, great sounding board, and you know really turned this into something that um, I think is a real conversation starter. It's important for people to be having these discussions, but because I can't imagine for the life of me how you know dragging a student athlete from Piscataway, New Jersey to Seattle, Washington, is in any way amateur athletics. You're doing that for professional reasons. And that's okay. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with Jim Harbaugh making a lot of money. I don't have a problem with Ward Manuel making a lot of money. But I have a problem with administrators making money and student athletes not making anything at all. Yeah, I am right there with you on that and have been for a long time. Uh, you know, NCAA got dragged kicking and screaming in that direction. But yet here, here we are, at least to some extent. Yeah. Now, with the with the you have the legislation, which or the NCAA rules and the legislation, which often are in conflict. Right. Very conveniently, though, you have some institutions in some states that can lean on mm -hmm. their state legislatures yep. that, and 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 use that contradiction to their advantage. Yep. So the question to you is because this is the Michigan insider. I hear this all yep. the time from from fans. I look, how is Michigan supposed to compete? Given that, that they don't do, they've never done the paper paper play thing and nope. never will. Nope. And you don't have a you don't have a state legislature that will insert itself in a way. No, that this year. And I'm not saying that as a, a criticism, more no. as an observation. How is Michigan supposed to compete at a championship level consistently, given those dynamics? I mean, that's why you know the it, it just it it so happens that the viewpoint that helps Michigan the most is also the most moral view, which is revenue sharing. And I've had this conversation with coach Harbaugh. I've had it with coach Howard that this whole game, you know, where you got to have your NIL people come in and do a dog and pony show. And then there's someone calling it, you know, you know, you hear these stories. I'm going to get 800 grand from, you know, whatever state university out there. You told the coach, he said, look, I'm not going to promise you the sun, the moon and the stars, but I can promise you that, you know, twice a semester, you're going to check from the Big Ten Conference for $10,000, your revenue share, right? And that's going to go up every single year until your senior year. 
and you could do it by, you know, where they finish in the conference or how many games are on to, there's all sorts of formulas that you could use to do this. If you do it that way, big 10 athletes will have be at a significant advantage over their non big 10 opponents. And that's okay with me because that's as long as you're playing the system, that's what you have to do. You know, the SEC is going to get their legislatures to change things. In Michigan, we're not going to be able to do that. So moving to revenue sharing makes a ton of sense for us. And it makes a ton of sense uh, if you're thinking about uh, how to make a keep us competitive, not just in football, but in all 29 sports. Because the other advantage, and this is something that doesn't get talked about enough, Auburn has 18 men's and women's varsity sports. How many does Ohio State have, Sam? Do you know? I don't know. 31. It's a big difference, right? And, you know, we don't – we've talked – there's been conversations, obviously, as you know, about hockey, adding women's hockey and how that would work. Adding sports is expensive, right? you got to spread money equally, and it's hard. So I think you're always going to be at a disadvantage to where these schools will concentrate on football and we concentrate on everything. And that's, that's always going to be a disadvantage in some senses, but in a lot of senses, look, there's a lot of Michigan alums and fans who take a ton of pride in those Olympic sports, the 13 big 10 championships, the Olympic athletes, all of those things matter to us in a way that it might not matter to a fan in the sec, but we have to, you know, we have to be okay with that, that they're always going to do things, but we can, we, there's still things that we can do to help us to get to that point. And revenue sharing is one of them. So I'm with you. And look, I am 100% behind you, with you, lockstep on revenue sharing. I think it's the it's the only sustainable way. I call yeah. the NIL money as it exists right now, I call it the hustle money. Like, you got to yeah. go earn that. Yeah. You got to get these individual deals in it, and you don't know if they're going to renew. So you got to mm-hmm. go get new deals every year, right? right? right. But the sustainable money is the rev share that you're going to get every single year. I'm with you. But what's the timeline on that? I mean, that's that's what the fans are going to say. Okay, I'm with you, Jordan. How how long will it be before that happens? And what do we do in the interim? Um, it's a great question, Sam. So I think we're probably at most two years to revenue sharing at this point. I think that's when the courts are going to make their decisions over the next two years. Um, until that point. We, I, you, you call it hustle money. I use the collectives. Collectives are like the bridge money mm-hmm. to, to when we get there. So when I talk to collectives, I say, look, you're not going to have to do this forever. But I want you to think about, you know, now and next year, right? Think about those two things when you're making your decisions. Don't think about 2030. Don't think about, you know, it's too overwhelming. But don't think about the long term. Think about the short term. Because that's ultimately what you need at this point. And it's still hard right? It's a lot of student athletes that want money. I mean, you know, you you talk to the champion circle guys and you see what the kinds of requests are. And some of it is based in real dollar figures of what a student athlete is valued. And some of them are, you know, off on a different planet. And we see student athletes, not really at Michigan, obviously, but at other schools getting taken advantage of. We saw that whole thing with Miami and Florida over the quarterback who's now at Arizona state. You know, this is not good stuff for the long term. If, and if, again, this is what drives me crazy about it is if the leaders of college football and college sports were really dedicated to doing what was right for student athletes, they'd think about these models and start proposing them now and publicly and not begging, begging for a bailout on Capitol Hill um, because it's coming. It's coming. I hear you. 
I hear you. So I know you're a very, very busy man. I, I want. Yes. I have a question, and then I, I want to leave the the final piece open ended for you to address anything that that I haven't. But what do you, if if a fan or a viewer comes to you and you says and they say, Jordan, what is right about Michigan NIL? Right, NIL at Michigan. Yeah. What do you see that you say they we do this really, really well? And then what yeah. would you say? Something you know what we need to be better at that, even if it's just correcting a, a common misperception yep. out there about Michigan and IL. How would you answer that question? So I think the thing we do really, really well is what I like to call the traditional NIL, the branding, the the jersey sales, stuff like that is incredible. And you could see it on a football Saturday. I mean, you're walking in, you're seeing McCarthy jerseys and Corum jerseys and Edwards jerseys and jerseys from all of our players. We sell them in the stadium. We're the first ones to do that. I think that's a really, really great thing. It's a big part of that is our partnership with the MDA has been fantastic for a very long time. The thing that we don't do out in Michigan, and this is not an athletics thing, by the way, this is across the board. We don't communicate well. We assume we're Michigan. So people, of course, are going to know about the great things that we do. And it's not true. It's not true in 2023. You have to really, really Uh, And you don't have to be self-aggrandized, but you need to be out there and letting people know. Because when this, you know, there was a big press release about Alabama having this in-stadium shop where you could, you know, see your player score a touchdown the first quarter and order a jersey and have it ready for after halftime. And I called Jared when it happened. I said, Jared, how come people don't know that we do this too? And he said, you know, I don't know. And it frustrates me beyond belief that people don't know about this stuff, but we have, we have to realize people aren't going to learn on their own. We have to use modern messaging techniques and we're getting there. Um, But Michigan, like a lot of big institutions, they, we don't do service as well. We have to get there. Um, Now, one of the things that we could improve, I think that uh, we could improve our conversations internally with messaging with donors and student athletes about what they can and cannot do. Um, I think that's a really big challenge because I think everybody's really scared and saying, you can't do this. You can't do this. We need to be more proactive and forward thinking and saying, this is what you can do. You may not be able to do this, but here's how you make this legal. Right. And here's what you can do to get this deal. We have to be way more forward looking when it comes to that and way less conservative, I think. Are there any common misperceptions about NIL at Michigan that you run into that you can correct right now, right here, right now? I mean, I hear a lot that our players don't make any money, um, that no one's getting anything, that we do a bad job compared to our, our competitors. Hear that a lot. Um, and I think that's just, that's just not accurate. I think we have a better NIL program, for example, than Penn State does. Um, I think that we do better on the whole – than Michigan State does for sure. I think there's some things that we do competitively with Ohio State really, really well. Um, you know, I think there's still more work that needs to be done. And I know that our athletic department staff has been really focused on it this summer and this fall. So I'm not get out ahead of them. I'll let them, you know, break their own good news. Um, but I think that people think we're way further behind than we are. And I will give credit, Jared Wangler, other than the coaches outside of the coaches, I'd say, and the players, there is no more important person to Michigan football than Jared Wengler. This success, keeping these guys here, 
making sure they're getting deals, making sure people are happy and staying, coming back for a fourth or fifth or sixth year, that's because of Jared's hard work. Now, it means that an ordinary regent like me can't get my text messages returned, but that's okay. That kid works. He's not a kid anymore. He's working 24 hours a day, seven days a week because it's that important. So I think people, you know, people really are focused on the negative. You didn't do this. You didn't get that. This goes that. We, um, we can, we can get there um, and we can keep working in the right direction. But I think our fans have to really, you know, understand what you're talking about here. And, you know, they say, oh, well, Stephen Ross will put up the money. Guys, take a breath. You know, he owns a he owns a professional football team, just gave $100 million to build our Detroit Center last week. As important as this is, and it's important, you know, building a presence in the city of Detroit is a way better use of, of Steve Ross's money than, uh, than NIL because that's what donors are used to. And I think that's, that's ultimately something people just need to be comfortable with and recognize we're Michigan. We're going to do some things great. We're going to do some things less great, but we're going to get there. Um, and we're going to still be competitive. And you've seen it the last three years. If NIL was falling off the cliff, I promise you we wouldn't be in the place that we are right now. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be. So, Jordan, uh, parting shots, anything that we didn't cover that you want to express, get across before we let you go? No, I think that um, I think that the biggest thing, and we said this at the beginning, but we're going to say at the end because Michigan fans, as John Bacon always says, don't aren't happy unless they're miserable. When you go into the stadium two weeks from now or less than two weeks from now for the Purdue game and you're watching this team against Ohio State and you're watching them against Penn State and Maryland, enjoy it. Enjoy what you're seeing because this is art on a football field right now. And it's fun and they're great kids and they're great kids to root for and enjoy the ride. Oh, I forgot the Big Ten championship game. We're going to have that too. Enjoy the ride because this isn't going to happen. This doesn't happen that often for us. You know, it's just, this is a special team. Like the way that the 97 team is a special team. And I, I, I think we're going to come back here in 20 years and a a little grayer JJ McCarthy is going to be waving. uh, And we're going to be looking at, you know, kids today are looking the same way kids in my generation look at Charles Woodson or look at Desmond Howard. And I think, um, I think it's a pretty, pretty amazing thing to, to get to experience right now and smile, right? Absolutely. Lot to smile about, uh, you know, when it comes to Michigan football. Not all the people who are trying to bring Michigan football down. I won't. I won't bring you into that conversation. No, 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 no I'm not I going. There. Into, I won't bring you into that conversation. That's me making that comment. But uh, this won't be the last time. You know this that I tap your shoulder because nil is always moving. Yeah, it's always something happening. So, you know, next few, next four or five months, I'll be tapping your shoulder again, man, to come yep. in and give us another update. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Sam. Thank you for having me. All right, Jared, thanks a lot. Appreciate your time. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.